When I was going to ask my girlfriend to marry me, I had a lot to overcome. Uh, there were obstacles that I think in, in, her, in my mind, they were yellow flags, but in her mind, they were, I think, were red flags. So there was a lot for me to, to kind of overcome to get her to a point of maybe saying yes. I knew I had that job in front of me. So I planned uh, a very special day to try to put her in the right frame of mind uh, to be able to say yes to me. And when I planned that day, I showed up at her apartment very, very early in the morning. Um, the plan had been there already. I, I had, uh, unbeknownst to her, already met with her father, actually, and, and secured his blessing uh, for asking her. She didn't know that. But I asked her to get a raincoat. We were going to go out, and, and I told her, come with me. And uh, so we took off. Um, and we went out driving. Uh, we, were, we were living in New York City at the time, and we went out driving, and she was starting to get very worried because we kept driving. Uh, and the longer we drove, you know, the, the later she was going to be to work, and she had just started at this new company. And it was like first day or maybe the second or third day, she had to get there on time at 9 a.m., and the farther we drove, the more it seemed like that wasn't going to happen. But unbeknownst to her, and I had to come out at that point, that uh, she didn't know this, but according to the plan, I had actually um, contacted the company and I had made an agreement with the head of the company that she would have the day off, uh, even though it was very busy. So this was something I had planned for and accounted for. And so we went on and we were able to drive through these beautiful areas of very natural settings, and we were able to see some gorgeous uh, wildlife as we drove uh, because of the route we were taking. And so like, like watching deer, you know, across a meadow, these things, all to give her a sense that it was natural, you know, to be with me. <laughs> this, was a, this was a beautiful thing that was going on. And when we finally got to dinner, which we were having in a rotating restaurant atop of a tower that overlooked Niagara Falls. Yeah. Um, she, it, it dawned on her that there must have been some plan in place, that, that some reservations that had been made much, much earlier uh, to be able to be doing this at this moment. It was part of the plan. Uh, and when we, you know, made it out to this island that was in the center, uh, kind of not, not really in the center, but uh, in the river overlooking the falls. I mean, actually, it was the farthest point out you could get to before going over the falls here <laughs> on this island. And in, the, in this setting with this beautiful, this rushing water going by us, when I entered into the conversation about our future, we hadn't, we hadn't spoken about it before, but when I, when I brought up our future, I, it, I made sure that that took place under a perfectly full moon in the sky there up uh, above the falls so that she would, she would be well disposed to give the right answer. You know? And when I actually went down on my knee I remember the time, it was 9.03 on this October day in 1989, when I went down on my knee 
and um, brought forth the ring, uh, it was the moment at that time of a total lunar eclipse. And we were actually there watching it from one of the few places in North America where you could see it actually perfectly, a total lunar eclipse. And this was all to help her see that we were entering into a new era. Were she to say yes uh, to me? And even certain things that happen, you say, well, that, that kind of ruins the plan. Because as we were there and I brought forth the ring for her to see, um, we were in total darkness because it was a lunar eclipse. <laughs> so you said, doesn't that, doesn't that kind of mess things up? Well, no, because I just reached over into my pack and pulled out my flashlight, which I had specially prepared, and, flashed, and turned the flashlight on so she could see how expensive the ring was <laughs> in order to give the right answer. All this happened. Well, you know, all of this went down and it made her feel quite special. It made her feel that because of all, the, all of the planning, all of the execution, all of the presence that was there, how very, very loved she was. Please stand, if you would. I'm going to read from the book of Colossians, the letter to the Colossians, really the first passage there uh, that after the greeting. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. And I'm going to be reading through verse 8. This is in the RSV, uh, ESV version. You can follow along your Bibles or you can follow along on the screen. Again, it's Colossians chapter 1 and beginning in verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in, Je in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it, does, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our fellow beloved servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I'm going to preach a sermon to you today on the Holy Trinity. And I'm willing to wager that you have not often heard, or maybe some of you have never heard, a sermon on the Trinity, on God, who is one God, yet existing in three persons, three individual persons, all co-equal and co-eternal, none greater or less than the other, and yet subsisting in one God. I'm willing to bet, I'm willing to wager that some of you have never maybe even heard a sermon about this. I mean, we sing some beautiful songs this morning about the Trinity, the triune nature of God. Maybe we, we hear that sometimes in prayer, but have you ever heard a sermon? Maybe not, not just a side reference to it or, you know, half of a point or something, but an actual sermon on the Trinity. Probably not. I know I haven't. And I want to wonder with you this morning, isn't that kind of strange 
Don't you think that's a little bit weird? Because we're Christians, right? This is a, actually a fundamental of our faith. This is a fundamental truth on which, on, on which our faith is based. This triunity of God, that God subsists in these three individual persons who are yet one God. Very important for us to know. I'm going to try to bring that out today. And I want to start with the Apostle Paul, whose letter we are reading. We just read one of his letters, beginning of the book of Colossians, a letter to the Colossians. And I want to just point out how prevalent it is. We can tell the Trinity is important because in the Apostle Paul, throughout his writings, we find what we could call triads. That is, when, God, when Paul starts talking about who God is and what God does, he ends up referring to him in, in terms of these three different pe- persons. When he talks about God, there are these, pa- and you, you go through a passage, and you could identify in the passage how he alternates and actually talks about the divine in terms of these three persons in, in the space of a passage or in the space of a few verses or sometimes even in a single verse. You might not have noticed that he did this in the passage because we're maybe not used to reading that way, but he actually did it this morning in the passage we just read. But he does this over and over again, actually 12 times in the letter to the Romans alone. You just take his letter to the Romans and go through, and I invite you actually to go through and look for this. What you'll find is that he talks about God, the one God, and yet he's he refers to three different persons in that God. Twelve times just in the letter to the Romans. Another twelve times just in his Corinthian correspondence. That is his letters to the, the church at Corinth. Another twelve different times he, he is talking about God and actually talks about you know, these three different persons while he's talking about what God did. Sixteen times. In the rest of Paul's letter, you can go through and count them. So you can see this dozens and dozens of times. This is the way that Paul writes. This is the way he, he thinks about God. This is the way he speaks about him. You know, uh, some of you, are, I know, have some trouble sometimes. You're reading and trying to get through the New Testament. And I tell people, you know, who are having that trouble, you know, your, your job would be a lot easier. <laughs> the New Testament would be a lot shorter if God were not triune. If God were not triune, you wouldn't get these alternates that Paul does between the three different persons. It would actually be a lot shorter text. You'd get through it first. But that's not the way God is. He is triune. And when he brings up these triads, you got to realize that the terminology is different than, say, in the book of Matthew. When Matthew talks about the Trinity, it's very clear. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When Paul talks about these three and talks about the Trinity, it's God, Lord, and Spirit. God, Lord, and Spirit. But each of them is God. You know, he says Lord, but it's very clear when he's talking about Jesus Christ. At at certain points, it's very clear that he means God. He uses the the Greek term theos for the Father. When you're reading Paul and you say theos, you say God, he's talking about the Father. 
Except for in two instances where he actually uses that word directly for Jesus Christ. There are two places where he takes the word God and it's very clear that he's saying the Lord is God. The Lord Jesus Christ is God. You can see that Romans Romans 9 or Titus 2. And so even in this even in this chapter, if you were to read on in Colossians 1, in verses 18 and 19, you would hear Paul say, in Christ, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Now, if you think about that for a while, the fullness of God is all that God is. I mean, after the fullness of God, you know, there's nothing left, right? That's all of God dwelt in Christ, dwells in Christ. I don't, I don't know if there's another way or a better way to say that a, this man was God. So it's very clear that for Paul, the Lord is God. And we could see the same thing for the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that for him in different ways, the way he talks, he's also God. And so it, it really is throughout his writings you have these three who are God, and at the same time, very clear for, for Paul as a Jew, that there is one God. He says this in 1 Timothy 2. He says it in Galatians 3. He says it very clearly in Ephesians 4 and Romans 4 and 1 Corinthians 8. One God. There is one God. And yet he speaks about these three persons. It kind of contradicts the idea that you sometimes hear that, oh, this idea of the Trinity, this doctrine of the Trinity, that's something that came much later in church history when theologians decided, I don't know, maybe we'll worship Jesus and maybe we'll worship the Holy Spirit and so we'll come up with this idea of the Trinity. No, friends, this is in the middle of the first century AD. This is in the writings of the Apostle Paul. And you could certainly say, maybe you want to say that Paul didn't actually think in terms uh, that later theologians thought as they reflected on all of what the New Testament says about who God is. He certainly didn't use the word Trinity in the way that we think about it and use the word Trinity. But there's no denying the ideas are there because he speaks about these three persons as he talks about God And each of them has to be in his mind God. So somehow in his mind, however he thought about it, it's there. The ideas are there. Now, why does Paul go to all this triad trouble? It's because of what the Trinity means for you. That's what I want to try to bring out this morning for you. When you understand who all of who God is, you'll begin to see how important it is that God is triune for you. And that's, that's how we come to understand how important it is for himself and his perfection to be triune. So that's what I want to do with us this morning. And as Darren mentioned, he's going to introduce this letter for our series, the letter to the, to the Colossians next week. And formally kind of introduce it in our series. But even before that, I wanted to just take this first passage and, and give you a different perspective on it than you might normally have because of how important this is. To teach us to read trinitarily. 
because of what it is that God is, who it is that God is, and who, what it is that that means for us. Very important. So let's do that. Let's look at the Trinity in this passage, beginning in verse 3, when it says, this is one of the few times when, God, when Paul actually uses the, the term Father as well as God, for God the Father. He says, God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that in verse 3? He's not saying that Jesus Christ is not God there, as I've just been saying, you know, just in a a few verses later, he'll say he is. But what he's saying is, no, today I am giving my thanks to the, the first member of the Trinity. I really want to thank this, this one who's the first person, God. And he's the father of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of theology in that word of. It means that he is the fountainhead. Because the second member of the Trinity is of him. And the Holy Spirit is of him. Because he is not of another He's the fountainhead. He's the source. He's not the source of their Godhead, of their their godness, but he's the source of them as persons. And that's what's there in that of. The father is the planner. The father is the originator. He's the organizer. And that comes out in our salvation because he planned it all. He planned the whole thing. And that plan, friends, was elaborate. It was extensive. It began long before human history, long before even the creation of the world, when when this one, the originator, the fountainhead, the father, he ordained the mediator. He named him. He named the second member of the Trinity as the mediator, and ordained him and consecrated him to that task. That was before anything even began. Before, you know, even the day began, like when I showed up at, at the apartment with Mary Kay. Even before that, there was so much that went on to bring us to that day. And this is true of the Lord, of, of God, excuse me, as he planned things out, through thousands of years of human history. And he, he started forming a people so that they, there, there would be an audience for the great Lord Jesus Christ. And so he worked through the patriarchs and he worked through the kings and the prophets all to bring the people and bring the world to a point where it could entertain an audience with this great mediator. So many things he had to have in place and he had to form him, gave form for him a body so that he could do what he needed to do as mediator and a reasonable soul. He had to put in place contingencies um, for protection because God knew as soon as the Lord entered into our world, people would try to kill him. And that's actually what happened. As soon as he was born, even as a baby, even as an infant, uh, there, were, there were people trying to murder him. And so God needed the ear of some people to provide a contingency plan, to to provide safety for him, all all to support this plan. This This is a powerful planner. 
these great efforts. You know what it's like for me. I really enjoy uh, these movies that sometimes come out where you have a character and it turns out in the end that the character had planned everything that had gone on. You know, and you get to the end of the movie and it's like, wow, he knew about it all along. You know, and he had planned it all along. I'm thinking of movies maybe like um, the Thomas Crown Affair remake in 1999 or The Illusionist, that movie in 2006. These are movies where if you watch them, you know, you get to the end, you're just like, wow, that was all part of his plan. He knew it all along. I really, I really revel in those movies. I really enjoy them because I look at them and I get, wow, there's a sense. There's a sense of the first member of the Trinity. He is the planner. He's the originator and, originator, and he has it all covered. All the things that are going to happen, he's already provided for. And you think it's like the plan is breaking down, but no, he's provided for that. It's actually part of the plan. It's great to see that because it's usually done for, out of love for some other character in the movie. And yet, and that person, that person is allowed to relax because in the end they realize, you know what, he's got it all covered. Even if I'm hurt, even if there is something that happens that actually I'm, I'm feeling pain and I'm suffering, I know, because I know him, that he's going to even use this to make it all better. That in the end, he's going to take this that I'm experiencing and it will actually work for, for my good. They get a sense of security from this one who is doing this planning. You know what I'm talking about? Friends, this is what you need to know about the first member of the Trinity. This is God, the planner, and he has it all under control. And you've got to know that, even for the things that you're going through now, that he is the planner and he has every contingency covered. He has that flashlight in the pack, ready to come out. You think it's just all, you're in the dark. You're not in the dark, he's ready for it. Even the things that you're saying, well, but I'm suffering. This is my life here, I'm suffering. He's got that. You need to know this about this first member of the Trinity. You need to know the first member of the Trinity in this way if you are going to give the thanksgiving that the Apostle Paul is giving in verse 3. And that is why Paul wants to give him. That's why Paul wants to single him out in this particular prayer and say, I want to to especially thank the Father because in the Father I know God planned. But that's not all of who God is. The Lord shows us that in him, God came. Not only God planned, but God came. Just as, you know, I had to show up at Mary Kay's apartment early on. I had to go there. I had to make sure I had the supplies. I had to make sure we had enough gas in the car. I had to, I had to make sure everything was placed and actually do the things that would bring her into my love. Because otherwise, you know, all the plans would have meant nothing. So when you look at verse 4, and you say, it says, faith in Christ. You see that in verse 4? That means faith in what Christ did. That is, in, in living completely righteously, going to the cross, rising again, these things that he did, that is what makes our salvation happen. 
And so verse 5, he calls it the gospel. And it's the gospel, verse 5, that's, that's bearing fruit in the whole world right now. It's because the fountainhead's plan would mean nothing. God could have gone to all this, this trouble of all this plan, but it would have meant nothing if Christ did not show up. He's the boots on the ground to make it happen, to actually make it happen, to, to pay the sacrifice that, that he did. It was a lot more than, you know, a dinner uh, in a rotating restaurant. He paid the whole bill for us. And he did what he needed to do. This is, this is I'll tell you, the plan, what's so marvelous about the, the plan of the originator, the fountainhead, the first member of the Trinity, is that it matched the gifts of the second member of the Trinity, of the second person of the Trinity, as arising from their relations of origin. He, the, the very things that he specializes in, that Christ specializes in, that's how the plan was designed. We could talk a lot about that. But what he could do was continue on and get it done in the midst of, you know, all encouragement taken away. When he was on the cross, he had nothing left. He still was faithful. And you needed that for your salvation. You needed that to be brought into God's love. It's crucial. You know, when the, we were at the Niagara Falls and through the afternoon when I was uh, you know, doing different things, like we went on this boat ride that goes right up to the falls. You get all wet, you know, which is why she needed this raincoat. And uh, while we were going through all that, I talked to her in the afternoon and I said to, I said to my girlfriend, you know, I love you. Do you love me? And you know what her answer was? Well, yes, like my sister. I love you like my sister. <laughs> so, you know, I'm just trying to give you the idea that I wasn't getting a lot of encouragement, but I had to keep on going. I had to continue to walk through the plan, even though, you know, it was, I, I, it's not as bad as being crucified. All right. It's not being, <laughs> that's not bad. I don't mean to, to diminish what the Lord has done, but it was a little taste for me. That even in the, in the absence of affirmation, even when all of their supports are taken away, Christ continued in the path to be faithful for us. He continued in acting out the plan, getting it done. That's the second member of the Trinity. We need that. That's the fullness of who God is. It is so much, it is, it is so much a testimony to his perfection that he is two persons rather than one person because this is part of him too. You know, when you get somebody not only who makes promises but keeps them, don't you want that person in your life? <laughs> I mean, that's who you want in your life. When you find somebody, it's great when people uh, make a lot of great promises, but when you find someone who actually keeps those promises, somebody who does what he says he does, I mean, that, that kind of person you want to hold on to, right? You're like, I want this person in my life actually does what they say, right? That's the second member of the Trinity. He brings to pass what the planner planned. <clears throat> so that's not all that God is turns out that there is the spirit 
And in the spirit, we know God is not only the planner. He's not only the one who came. He's the one who's present. In the spirit, God is present. You know, when when the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, Jesus Christ was long gone. Okay. By the time when he's writing in the mid-50s, Jesus Christ hasn't been around for over 20 years. It'd be sort of like uh, when Paul is writing, looking back on what Christ has done, it'd be sort of like us looking back on something that happened, you know, in the 90s, in the 1990s. He hadn't been around for a long time. And yet Paul is looking here and saying, I see this faith in you. I see this fruit that's going out into the whole world. I see this love in you. Where is that coming from? Even though Christ is long gone, how is that, how is this, how how are these gifts operating in your community like this? How is there this love, this faith, this, this abundant, full and vibrant life? How is that going on? And he tells us the answer in verse eight. He says, I heard of your love in the spirit. See that in verse eight? In the spirit. Okay, and here we see one of Paul's, the completion of one of Paul's triads. What they're experiencing in their here and now, Paul understands is the activity and the work of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, you could read that and you could misunderstand and say, you know, I heard of your love in the spirit. You might think, oh, did he have a vision or was he in a trance or something? No, the in the spirit is, is modifying the love. He says, I see the love that's going on in your community. I see what's happening in your lives, how it's just your lives are being transformed. I know where that's, where that's coming from. It's, it's coming from the Holy Spirit. I see your love in the Spirit there. And that is the Spirit. The Spirit is God personally with you. When things click in you, when you have this understanding in your heart and it changes, that's, that's God But not just God, it's God the Holy Spirit. It's the third person of the Trinity applying what what the planner has planned and what the Lord has done to your heart. And we need this. I'll tell you, I do. Let me confess something to you. I find myself often, often saying to the Lord, God, I know that I shouldn't need help to do this thing. I know I shouldn't need more than what you have given me. But I do. But I do. When I look at all that you've planned for me and all that you have providentially arranged in my life, and I look at all the sacrifice that Christ has made for me, I, I know that I shouldn't, I, I shouldn't need more than that. I have the resources that you've given me. I shouldn't need anything else. And yet, I can't. My heart just is not forgiving this person that I know that you're telling me I should forgive. I'm not believing and trusting you in this situation that I know I should be trusting you in. I know I should be able to take this step of righteousness that you've, you've shown me the scriptures I should take. I know I should be able to do these things, but I just can't. 
I need more. You know what I need? The Holy Spirit. I need the touch. You know, when we were out on this island in there in the dark, and I had planned all these things for Mary Kay, and I had done all these things for Mary Kay, and yet she was, she was scared out there in the lunar darkness. I had to hold her hand. <laughs> I had to hold her hand at that point. She needed, a, she needed my physical touch. She needed my presence. And that's analogous to what we receive from God, the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit, God is present in the here and now. And when you're able to walk and do something, your life is able to be changed. When your heart is able to be touched, you should recognize and be grateful for the fact that God is not one, he's not two, he's three, because that's the Holy Spirit operating. That is God present with you. You need someone there. You need that touch. So, you know, these are kind of like uh, God, because of who he is, he covers all of the love languages, right? The, you know, works of service and physical touch and all these things. Except what God does is actually even more than those, that categorization. But don't you see, this is, this is why you need to appreciate that God is triune. This is why he is so perfect in his triunity. Because he is not just the planner, although that's amazing. And he isn't just the, the sacrificer, the doer, because that's incredible. But he is also the one who is present. And we need all of those uh, operating for our salvation. I mean, God is those things arising from, again, his, his, their relations of origin. He's those things even without the trouble that, that he has to go to for us. But we see it played out in the way that they act in salvation. The planning for you, the sacrifice for you, the presence for you. You know, and I should say that we, it's, I'm talking about them individually here so you could, you could distinguish between them and you could appreciate them individually. But actually, in fact, they're all working when, the, when God acts. They actually all are involved in each of the acts of God. So, you know, God was very much involved in the Lord's sacrifice and making that happen. And the Lord very much governs over the Spirit's presence in your life. He's very much involved in that. that that's the way that they are. They just act inseparably in that way because they just <laughs> they just love to do things with each other. So it really is one God who is doing all of these things. But when you understand this and you think about this, do you doubt that this God loves you? Do you still have trouble as, a, as, as you begin to understand these things, you hear and you appreciate it, do you still have trouble that he doubts? That, that, do you doubt that he loves you? you still, are you still putting your hands up as far as entering into the fullness of his love? I mean, are you insane? <laughs> let, let me ask you something. When, when I got to that point where I was down on my knee in the dark, the flashlight and the lunar and everything, and I asked the question, what should Mary Kay have said? 
You can call it out. When I said, will you marry me? What, what should she have said? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad you're rooting for me. <laughs> Let's hope you're rooting for me. Because our life, you know, our life is really, it's just like a rom-com. That's what our life is. It's a romantic comedy. So, yeah, I, I'm hoping that you're saying, you're rooting for me. And you say, yeah, she should say yes. You know what she actually said, though? You know what she said? When I was on my knee... And there it was, this emerald ring, if the flashlight. You know what she answered? First answer. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. She was crying. And, and you say, how could she say that? What's the matter with her, right? Right? <laughs> What's the matter with her? Shouldn't she say yes? But you know, it was hard for her. It's her life we're talking about. It's her life. So for some of you, I know it's hard. It's hard for you, whether you're, you're being confronted with God's love, it's hard for you. And you know what? God understands that. God understands because it's your life we're talking about. You don't come into God's love with a, without giving up your life, right? It's your life we're talking about. So God understands that. But at the same time, let me, I, I need to ask you something. Are you insane? Are you insane? <laughs> Do you understand the fullness of this triune God and what he has done for you? Do you understand how, how this planning, how this sacrifice, how this presence should be affecting your heart? Are you crazy to turn this God down? What is the wrong with you? What is the matter with you? You're in some kind of lunar darkness here, you're in some kind of eclipse. You need to come out of that into the light and see you know, how expensive the ring is. You need to see how what he has done for you, what it costs. And friends, that is why you're wearing it. Hold it up there, thank you. You need to see how expensive that ring is. Do you know where you see it? Right here at the communion table. So what we're going to do now is actually bring you to communion. You know what's happening at the communion? You're getting the full triune God here. Because here, as you come forward for the elements, you are touched by the Holy Spirit through your faith in Christ to, the, to come into the presence of the Father. That's what happens here as we, as we share in the sacrament. Would you stand with me? Let's do that.